This is Geek Gab with your host, Dornall and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Monday, January 15th, 2024. I bet you're waiting for me to mess that up, weren't you? I had full confidence in UDW. I knew you had it. Oh, man, 2024. I know this is a sign of just me being uh, advanced in age, but all the quote-unquote the future and all, all... Man, I did this bit last year in New Year's. I wonder if people remember. Like all the movies I saw when I was a kid, 2024 was the future. Heck, Blade Runner was 2019 is the future. And I just saw a comic book um, panel uh, that was like, oh, Washington, D.C. is all destroyed. And it's, you know, absolutely terrible. And I think it was set in like 2015. <laughs> like, man, I got kind of sad. I'm like, no, no, not yet. <laughs> So I shouldn't say that. Oh, no. no. Yep. DC still standing. Oh, well. How uh, could you tell the difference, huh? No, wait. Sorry. <laughs> no. no. No politics. No politics. I'll I'll light them up. You'll knock them down. Sorry, um, I should not be should not be saying that the great capital of this great nation can barely be distinguished from the after effects of a nuclear war that is completely unfair to Washington, D.C. That's Detroit. But anyways, folks. <laughs> whoa. I came out with a big old attitude today. <laughs> I like it. Is this a taste of things to come? Is this the new Daddy Warpig? I like oh, it, yeah. if so. Speaking of a taste of things to come, I'm going to forget this if we don't. Uh, we are launching something in the next week or two. Are we? Tell me we, more. We, we are. Um, we are launching a new Geek Gab blog. And the plan, I've got uh, several posts already written, so I'm going to post them, schedule them so they can start going live. And that way I will keep ahead of my posting duties on the blog. Um, as I have learned from the example of Howard Taylor, who has famously has a month uh, backlog on uh, Schlock Mercenary, and I don't have a month and I, I doubt, I'll, doubt I'll ever have a month. But I will have a few days backlog to be writing a little blog post to put up on the Geek Gab blog. Uh, we've been doing Geek Gab. This will, at the end of the year, will it be 10 years? Or I, eight years? I believe I believe we'll be at 10. 10 years at the end of the year. And um, we'll, we'll have been doing this for free for 10 years. And we uh, have been spending about $200 a year for the last few years on the show. And so with the launch of the blog, we are providing a new service. And so um, 
I felt comfortable launching a Patreon and subscribe star for anyone who wants to become a patron of the show. Um, and that will go live after the blog, so you can see what you're getting in extra in addition to the show. Because um, we're not going to ask for uh, for patronage, for your patronage, without providing some more, some extra uh, content than you have been uh, used to getting. But, uh, you know, anything you care to uh, step up as patrons of the show, and we may even at some point have a you know, have a special tier where you can request reviews or request topics for the blog um, and uh, see how that goes. Um, and I know that I'm going to regret allowing people to force me to watch movies to review on the show, but um, in fact, I posted a cartoon about that just yesterday um and, but that being one of the higher level one of the perks of the higher level patron tiers you can request you know a, a specific movie for us to review or tv show for us to review uh and by us i mean me um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so we'll try to come up with other perks, or if you have suggestions for perks for higher, a higher tier, um, we will, uh, take that under advisement, but it's 2024. We are planning on launching, uh, a new geek gab blog. I have been working on it, uh, looking at options and I have been writing blog posts to start scheduling. So, it can go live, and uh, we hope to seriously start that in the next week or so, uh, or two. That's good stuff. So, we, do we have a link yet? No, it's not launched yet. If I if I had a link, it'd be launched. Oh, I see. Um, but as soon as it does, we will be including links to the blog in the description of the uh, of the show. And we'll be including, obviously, links to the show in each of the blog posts and also links to, you know, Patreon and Subscribestar. Uh, so that's... if you're not comfortable with Patreon, you can go with Subscribestar. If you're not comfortable with Subscribestar, you can go to the Patreon. I love to hear it. I absolutely love to hear it. Um, I don't know what else to say. Uh, it's it, Besides, uh, maybe it's about darn time, but... Uh, we uh, we've always just done this show just for the love of talking with each other and hanging out with you guys and talking about that. Uh, speaking of, hey, what's up to guys in the chat? I see uh, Simon Hogwood's here. Good morning, Bradford Walker. Bradford Walker says we're months away from D and D turning fifty. So if you want to feel old, there you go. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons turning fifty, and uh, Robert Stevens, the winner of the Battle Brownstein. Hey, what's up, guys? Um, let's see. Um, this year has been packed with news, but I don't think there's anything I want to talk about. Um, 
we're involved in another war already. <laughs> yeah, actual world news is is uh, is something else. I tell you what, and it's so weird. Um, there's a bunch of there's a little bit of tunnel that was dug under a building in New York for reasons that are just too bizarre for me to comprehend. And I, I literally went to an actual historical synopsis of the building and the group that's in the building and how it was founded in the, how the group was founded in the 1950s and the people who dug it. And then the fact that they didn't actually dig it. They hired illegal immigrants to dig it. But there are also all these strange tunnels under New York. And people uh, found a, a collapsing sidewalk a few months ago. And they went down to these tunnels and found this empty bunker. They found this Cold War uh command post with all this abandoned audiovisual gear from the Cold War. And just watching this video, the only thing I could think was, man, I want to watch Chud again. Um, Chud? Yeah, have you ever seen it? Never. It's a great B-movie. Uh, it's not perfect, and it, it it's a little rough in places, but man, it's so much fun. Um, it's a bee monster movie about all these tunnels underneath New York and the, and there's monsters in them. <laughs> so all the people are, are stuck on this weird, absolutely bizarre news story. And I'm just like, man, I want to watch Chud again now. <laughs> and then like the, department the chairman of the department of defense got sick and he disappeared for four days and didn't tell the president and nobody he, noticed and nobody noticed <laughs> how do you lose a cabinet level secretary for four days what does that say about your job that, like, the Joint Chiefs of Staff didn't notice the Secretary of Defense and just disappeared. That's hilarious. I mean... <laughs> you can't make gonna... this stuff up. <laughs> and that's, like, all the news we've stuffed in to, like, 15 days. Literally months of the weirdest news going on. And finally, when the news got serious, it was like, oh, yeah, we're we're bombing this. We're bombing another country in the Mideast, uh, Middle East. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm not saying it wasn't necessary. I'm not commenting on the wisdom of the war. I'm just. I'm just like. That's just something that, something you did not expect to uh, hear. Yeah, it's just been a really busy year so far. Um, it just started, man. Yeah, I know. It's been two weeks. Can we slow this? Is this going to be the rest of the year? Are we going to be dodging huge news stories? 
I, I hate to break it to you, DW, but uh, yeah, we we better uh, we better keep our heads down and focus on um, gaming stuff uh, in future episodes because it is a U.S. presidential election year. Oh yeah, presidential election year, and so the big story out now is not that the uh, Iowa caucuses are up and running yet. Because that's not going to happen for several more months. Like six months, I think. I think the Iowa caucuses are in June. Maybe they're in March or April. I don't know. Um, I no longer pay attention to, to politics like that. I'm going to vote in Utah when it's time for the primaries here. Um, and, and the elections in this country are just getting weird. Just getting weird. And I don't want to talk about that because... There's literally no politics, but but the big news story yesterday was not about the Iowa caucuses. It was about polls of the Iowa caucuses in some other state, and that's what everybody's all upset about is is polls for the Iowa caucuses. And I'm like, can we not just? We don't know how accurate those polls are, do we? And I don't care who you're voting for or who you support, but. The uh, uh, Iowa caucus is actually today. Oh, it's today. It is today. Great. Oh, well, that's going to make tomorrow just peach. <laughs> oh. And then there's been like the last three days in nerd Twitter or geek Twitter, or whatever you say, have been full of uh, controversies. Um, and I may, I, I'm going to do one of the blog posts on my bit in the controversy. I, I posted a little comment on something, and I drew controversy in my part of Twitter, which is usually a really casual, like, friendly part of Twitter. People say Twitter's a dumpster fire, but the people who I know on Twitter who reply to me... Um, and I've got all kinds of people who, who reply to me. I've got, you know, leftists. I've got uh, people of all races. I've got uh, people of all sexualities. I've got transgenders. I've got everybody who replies to me. They're all friendly folks. I don't live in dumpster fire Twitter. I live in, you know, cool Twitter. Um, so... I've been very fortunate that way, that I live in cool Twitter. Um, and today has been mean Twitter noticed and, and jumped in to accuse me of really nasty things. And I just let it go because that's how you, you know, let the mean Twitter people leave is they said their thing and you just let them go. Let them walk off. They said their thing. That's what they were there for. They're not there to have a conversation. They're not there to understand you. They're not there for you to point out where they're didn't, where they misunderstood what you're saying. They're not there to, for you to point out where they've mistaken something they're just there to vent or to call you names or to get angry. And if you let them get angry in your replies and then don't reply to them, let them go. It's all good. 
they vented, they'll leave. So, yeah, I expect them to to be gone in the next day or two. I'm okay with that. Get out of that dumpster file. Go back, fire. Go back to cool Twitter. DW's on cool Twitter. So, but it is actually an interesting, interesting, will make for an interesting post. Not complaining about the, you know, not complaining about the bad people, but just the original point I made, if I flesh it out a bit, will make for an interesting post. So, um, yeah, that'll be part of the stuff I'll be putting up. Uh, so. I've been, uh, other than thinking of d and I've been uh, just doing a little couch potato stuff myself, keeping away from all of that uh, garbage. And uh, I am uh, I am sad to report that uh, continuing on... Uh, uh, Reacher season two, it's not very good, but they make sure to put in those fun fan service moments where uh, violence happens every episode. Um, I I can wait till I'm finished uh, with the season to give you a, a full review, but it's uh it's a, I hesitate to recommend it to anybody, uh, though it is filming season three right now, uh, and I decided to watch some football this weekend because it's the playoffs and uh usually i like to follow the green bay packers they had a really uh up, big upset victory over the cowboys last night so uh that was cool to watch not much else going on around here so it looks like for next week maybe possibly um we've got reviews coming up uh monarch just finished yesterday so we're going to review that next week um rebel moon has come out and i don't think i've reviewed that on the show did i review that on the show no i don't think so maybe the chat can remember for me (laughs) and uh james cameron finally released 4k and 8k versions of the abyss and true lies and so I'm watching those for the first time since literally the 90s. Um, and uh, I'm going to do uh, reviews of both of those next week. And then apparently Reacher Season 2. Great. Great. Um, that sounds good. Uh, excited to hear about that stuff. I actually put, uh, I think I put Rebel Moon in the show notes, but we'll edit that later. People listening live or listening later won't know what's going on. Yeah, baby. Pack City. Bob, are you also Green Bay Packers fan? I love watching them every once in a while. I used to be big into football. Not so much anymore. Um, great comment. Let's, let's move into D&D. Uh, let's move into D&D if... Uh, you don't mind? Um, I, I would love to do... Oh, I, yeah. That was a question for me. Yep. <laughs> I thought you were talking to chat there for a moment. I was catching up on chat. Catching up on chat. Uh, Bradford yeah. Walker has, a really, has an interesting comment here. Uh, right now my thing is pointing out that conventional play is better done by video games. And the Wizards of the Coast taking the brand out of tabletop is going to wreck conventional play in tabletop. 
Uh, I'm not sure what. Oh, I think he what, means convention play. Convention tabletop? play. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure exactly what he means in that second part, but yeah, absolutely, right. Uh, we've known it for years. Uh, can you know computer games? Uh, Diablo was so successful that Wizards of the Coast had to make Diablo in D and D in their version three well, of the game. Not to look. They hired a bunch of Microsoft execs to run Wizards of the Coast. And surprise, surprise, the Microsoft execs who know the software market but don't know publishing and don't know role-playing especially decided to turn Wizards of the Coast into Microsoft. Um, I mean, couldn't mention, okay. I mean, how, how shocking is that? How utterly surprising. Who could possibly have seen that coming? Uh, absolutely blinded. Absolutely blinded. Yeah, non-Brosar RPG plays done that is conventional. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I thought you meant. My bad. Uh, it's it, it's true. Uh, the, we know video games do it better. Video games have been doing it uh, better. Uh, you know, as you said, you know, Microsoft execs go and turn it into software. Um, but there is good news for the hobby because... Oh. Or video games, we will also accept reviews of video games. <laughs> it's been a while since we've done a, a lot of video game reviews. I mean, what can I say? Uh, video games do it better. There's a ton of great news for RPGs because the the renaissance in old school gaming sometimes known as the old school renaissance uh, it continues it's been picked up by the guys in the bro SR and I mean you guys know that we've been sort of following them or reporting on them and in many cases joining them uh, here on this show so we might be a little bit biased, but you can ignore the bias because the receipts are in. The player recession reports are available to read. The type of game that and the Broasar has developed and re rediscovered not is... Just that. Yeah. There is now a proven um, game reports to Broasar campaign pipeline. There are people out there who read the campaign reports online and then decide to either join a Broasar campaign or try to start up their own Broasar campaign. Absolutely. So it's, it it's is... so good and so inspiring that people are... are trying to duplicate it by doing what the Broasar is doing. Biased or objectively correct. Yeah, of course it's objectively correct. Uh, but uh, you have to understand that Warpig is so used to being right that we sort of have to make sure everybody understands up front. Like it looks like <laughs> bias, but Warpig is right. Um, absolutely. Uh, play test reports lead to 
uh, we got uh, this year, uh, we got, or, or last year, uh, shoot, let's start the retrospective. I mean, last year we got uh, a couple of great new players in the Broasar in the Trilopolis uh, campaign setting. We got uh, John Rock, who now does shows on YouTube. This is Dunder Moose. Uh, awesome guy. Uh, he's been a great addition to uh, the Broasar. Um, and he came in similar to me. Um, of course, you and I knew Jeffro ahead of time, but like similar to, to you and I came in off the street. Hey, those Trollopulous session reports, you know, the, the weird tweets, the Macho Mandolf memes, right? You know, this he's, stuff is is engaging. Like, I want in. He, yeah, he asked me, he's like, hey, can I play in the Broasar? And I'm like, let me check. And I asked and they said, yeah, bring him in. I said, sure. Amazing. Amazing. Um, what else do I want to say about that? Uh, we've got uh, a couple of brand new players joined up near the end of the year for the big battle Bronstein. We can talk a little bit about, more about that today, right? Right. Came in off the street. Hey, uh, this sounds interesting. I've been following. I want it, right? Mostly the macho Mandolf memes. Yeah, uh, maybe, I guess. <laughs> it depends on how much uh, XP is in it for me, Mandolf. Uh, yeah, we saw we saw Mandalf complete his takeover of Trollopolis, uh, becoming the primary dungeon master in the setting. Because hey, if you go to his if you go to his website, and I've got a link in the show notes, like uh, castleport.blogspot.com, all the Machador session reports are there, um, and all the stuff that he did to develop that domain the machador domain it's all there and uh, he kept developing it until as soon as we needed a game to play he's like well i just so happened to have all this stuff about you know what's going on in machador here's some adventure hooks here's some npcs you know everybody knows about minas mandelf uh it's, it's a good thing that city didn't get nuked but uh he was prepared, right? Uh, really good stuff. We learned so much from that. Um, uh, and, and now I've, I've gone completely off my notes, off my script. Uh, I want to talk about the power of prep because one of the biggest news items from this last year was no prep. But I want to talk about the power of prep for a minute. It's not exactly what you think. Um, we learned that through the use of uh, the rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide on managing a domain for when a player reaches level nine and they, they build a fortress and they get an army and, and, they, and what happens to them. You know, it turns out that, you know, they've got a ton of monthly expenses and they get weekly or biweekly encounters with monsters and stuff and that turns into income for the domain it also turns into uh, ad opportunities for adventure and and war and and whatever else right you know it, it it gives you that feeling that you're in a living world and that world is reacting to your new outpost um and what we learned is is that that 
activity alone can generate so much content for a regular game. It supersedes the need to sit down a la um, Adventure Conquer King system or some other system where, okay, I'm going to lay out my map. Here's my fantasy world map, and I'm going to detail all the different principalities and armies, and, and I'm going to come up with a, a dozen adventure hooks and, you know, put stuff in each. You don't, you don't have to do that, right? You just, if you just have one little part of the map, one map hex, and you perform that exercise of uh, managing that domain as if it were a new outpost, you generate all the sort of interesting leads and, and monsters and adventures, things that you want. It's, it's not only uh, a way to play with higher level characters. It's a way for the dungeon master to develop the game world. And it's done mechanically. You don't need custom rules. You don't need to make it up off the top of your head, right? The stuff you make up off the top of the of your head is how you react to the game results. Like any good, you know, procedurally generated system, it's the the easy part is okay, I've generated an encounter with bandits this month, right? The fun part and the hard part and the part that gets you to think is, okay, what are these bandits like? What are they? Why are they here? What are they interested in? Blah, blah, blah. That sort of thing. It just gives you the prompts you need to develop your game. Okay. I'm pausing for I you agree. to respond. Oh, I... I go in a different direction than a lot of what the Urasar does. I tend to I tend to do a lot of prep beforehand. Like a lot. Um, and that's not something that I see changing. Uh, because of my encounter with um, random terrain and, and other things. Uh, I think that random terrain is a great tool for No prep, random terrain, random dungeons, random dungeon layouts, random stocking of dungeons is a great tool for game masters who uh, who are running with uh, especially larger groups of players who you don't know who are going to show up from week to week. Um, or players who are or, or game masters who want a, a kick in the pants for their imagination to get them moving and running with it. And I have long been a uh, proponent of the random 
monthly and yearly events in Oriental Adventures. Um, and I will continue to say that adapting those for use in, you know, Troopolis uh, was a great idea. Uh, and we could have used those in so many ways. Um, because they're basically random encounters for patrons or random encounters for, you know, the wide scale campaign world. And it would have kept things moving uh, in ways that the large, larger area hasn't done. And in ways that game masters don't have to spend a lot of time prepping on or thinking about and can really kick their imagination. Um, but uh, I think that there is a good solid place for prep for a game master. Like, I don't think there's a random town layout or a random town map in AD&D, right? Right. And so laying out your own town takes some prep, and you absolutely want to do that. And then you absolutely want to decide, you know, what size is this town? What are the stores here? Um, and maybe some... Uh, maybe some of the prominent uh, prominent NPCs. Things like that really ought to, at least in some small part, either if you want to prep them, that's great. Or if you're, you know, if you're talented enough to make it up on your... Uh, make it up off the top of your head and you're diligent enough to take notes so that next time you'll have the same people and it doesn't all just change. Um, because it doesn't matter how good your memory is. If you don't take notes, it's going to change. Uh, people, um, people deserve a coherent world. They deserve a world that is stable unless it deliberately changes, not a world that randomly changes just because you forgot things and didn't write them down. So the benefit of prep uh, and the benefit of taking good notes is that you know what's going on the next time you go to run. Uh, so I, I still think there, even in a even in a campaign where you're using random dungeons, random terrain, uh, and things like that, there is still a strong, uh, there is still a, uh, uh, a key place for prep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people in the online debate miss when we're talking about no prep. It's not, 
it's not that prep isn't valuable. It's not that there aren't things that you can prepare for ahead of time. Uh, it's that the it's making sure you're using that time wisely. And uh, the there are systems and and game mechanics that work to create or simulate that world that you know that living world that makes sense that doesn't require you to do a bunch of work ahead of time yeah uh, you know you gave you gave the the town as an example no we don't have a procedure for that but you can prep one level of a dungeon ahead of time and if the players go out of bounds feel free to use a procedural generation um, appendix a in the dungeon master is a great spot for it uh, you don't need to come up with an interesting monster roster right off the bat. If you don't want to, uh, you can let the monster tables in the book do that for you, right? Um, and in a lot of cases, this goes back to what I said before, right? The the fun part, the hard part is once you get those results, what does your mind do with them? You know, let everybody's imaginations run wild because the crazy stuff that people come up with at the table is going to be way better than anything you're going to make up ahead of time. Uh, we saw that with, um, there's this really weird thread and I actually, I can't recommend this enough. Uh, read the session reports at uh, jeffro.wordpress.com and watch the Battle Bronstein report on this is Dunder Moose on YouTube, and I'll make sure we got links to that in the uh, in the show notes. Right when when Jeffro started uh, this reboot, uh, it was a really tough transition. And this goes to another one of the things that we learned. Forgive me for for rambling. I'm hitting a couple of different points here uh, because we learned that in a game with total player autonomy where the players showed up, they always made the decisions like what they were going to play, what they wanted to do, that sort of thing. Um, it's very difficult to get them out of that mode. And and we started sort of a, a fresh set of level one guys. Uh, and, and not everybody was happy with it. Not everybody wanted to do that. Like we wanted to keep doing the same old thing. But we were exercising some of the uh, rules in AD&D that we hadn't before. Uh, we learned a few things and it, well, first of all, it, it taught us that when the players are in a state where they're sort of getting everything they want and, and, uh, and whatnot, sometimes the campaign hits like a stale state and the dungeon master is well within his rights to shake things up a little bit. Um, oh, and going back to my point, um, Brian Reninger back in the back in the chat. Sorry for interrupting. One of the most fun troll opulus encounters was a randomly rolled were pig. There was a picnic and magic truffles. <laughs> I missed that. That one I missed. Uh, but that you know that's that's just an example. Uh, one of the things that we did was we started in a fresh dungeon. And, you know, the dungeon master just starts putting weird stuff like that in. You know, he started with a one-page dungeon, 
And then when weird things came up, he just rolled with it. We had, for example, uh, he used the noise table in, uh, you know, the Dungeon Master's Guide to make some weird hooting noises, right? And one of the players immediately picked up on that. Oh, is it, are, we're underground. Is it a burrowing owl? Because I can speak with burrowing owls. Totally by the book. And then that's how Lenny the Owl came came to be. And that became a whole thing. Um, everybody hates, the, you know. The funny thing is the existence of owl bears and now the existence of burrowing owls implies that there is some mad wizard out there in Trilopolis uh, who's making owl hybrids and that there's got to be some other owl hybrid um, or two roaming around somewhere. So (laughs) he's crossed it with a flying creature. He's crossed it with a burrowing creature. So there's probably at least one swimming owl. And there's, you know what I'm saying? There's got to be at least one swimming owl out there. I like, like to think so. Uh, that's, I, I don't know what to say. That's the cool stuff you get. Um, another thing is that everybody hates the stupid copper pieces in the dungeon, right? You know, you can, you can find a treasure hoard and it's something like 3000 copper pieces. Absolutely worthless. Right, it's it's worth like ten experience points, and it's three hundred pounds, and it's a, it's effectively worthless. Uh, so you know the DM just makes an offhand comment, "Oh, they're wheat pennies," right? And someone glommed onto that. They're, oh, they're wheat pennies. Right? You know, they're obviously not from around here. Maybe they maybe someone would uh, you know place more value than a single copper piece on it, right? Yeah, it turned out he was able to trade those to some eclectic collector for a significant amount of money. Uh, we had, uh, there's also a gumball machine and a Naga hide couch, all this ridiculous stuff, right? You know, this, this, uh, this game obviously takes place in a weird future or alternate universe where, you know, random stuff from the DM's mom's basement ended up in this dungeon somewhere. Right. Uh, all that stuff came out, and yeah, it seems kind of dumb at the time, but uh, that those threads created the scenarios that eventually became this whole like seven-player Bronstein event, where uh, some of the factions were fighting over, for example, the Nagai couch and the water cooler, and nobody that the dungeon master didn't even know at the time the ref the ref doing the bronstein didn't realize that he thought the stakes were that we were all fighting over territory right but no it was it was the human supremacist and the evil wizard from the dungeon and the 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 ogres and trolls of the you know the monster town they were fighting over control of a stupid couch right yeah it sounds silly but it generated so much excitement. It's the sort of thing that role-playing games do best, and you can't you can't get that with just a simple board game. 
or a conventional play game where, you know, the MacGuffin in question is some mystical elven ring or something. Um, it definitely, the game, that's another thing we learned like, that maybe this isn't new, but it was definitely worth refreshing in 2023. The game takes on the characteristics of its better players. Uh, it absolutely does. Um, the, the, and we've actually seen this throughout the years, right? The old Trilopulous games were greatly influenced by the, you know, the crazy stuff that Sky Hernstrom got up to, Fluid the Druid, Macho Mandalf, um, Chaz the Thief, what have you, right? Uh, you know, and they eventually became larger in life. And in 2023, we saw that even though you press the reset button, right? Um, the players who uh, brought the most energy, they played the best, uh, they set the tone of the campaign. And uh, that brings me to another thing that I learned, um, or had reinforced anyway, which is uh, this is really a game of people. And it's easy to just hand wave that away. And let me explain what I mean, right? Because the one of the guiding principles of the Broasar is that we seek to play the game as written, as presented, and sort of accept the results, right? See what see what sort of game is described by the rules rather than the knee-jerk reaction to throw away everything that seems unfun and just, you know, play what you want. But at the same time, that doesn't really matter if you don't have good people or the right people playing. Not only people who are going to take that healthy attitude into the game, but people who are engaged and willing to you know, play along and, and think about the game world, think about the, you know, what the game master's saying, what the other players are saying, and and be a part of the table. Just be a be sociable. Just be a good if Jeffro were here, he'd say be a good dance partner. Well, I, I would say just be a pro. Absolutely. It's good to be a pro. So, let's see. What else? What else did we learn in in twenty twenty three? Um, we had uh, a couple of rules things came up that were really nice to explore. <clears throat> um, we really just went through the implications of the mercenary rules and the hireling rules. Expert hirelings like infantry, cavalry. Um, and we really put to the test the idea that low-level characters and fighters in particular can lead small units of men. And we had large combats. We had a few combats that were like 50, 60 aside, and then we had a few, you know, 200, 300 aside. And these are all with level four or five characters, 
right? You didn't have to wait till you had your big, uh, you know, your big massive domain uh, to put together. Playing the domain game at level one, um, a fighter, instead of just going into the dungeon and being a, a guy with a bunch of hit points, you're a leader of men, even at level one. You know, outfit 10 spearmen. You've got light infantry and you can uh, bring them into the first level of the dungeon, first three levels even. Um, that was really fun to uh, experience and experiment with. And uh, it, it goes seamlessly with the rules because you know, Dungeons and Dragons is still a war game after all. Um, I didn't realize it for years. I may not have accepted it for years. It's a war game. Uh, it came out of chainmail. It's best understood. Or, oh, old D and D is best understood with chainmail. Um, the mass battle stuff integrated seamlessly with regular play. Um, the, you can take a group of 10 men or 20 men and just use one piece on the board, one figure, right? So that's a unit of 10 men. And guess what? AD and D scales up perfectly, right? Fun, interesting, exciting. You can just add them to your game. Let's see. Uh, next, next on my list, and I know this is just rapid fire. I've got lots of lots of stuff to go over. Um, I'm gonna really, I'm just gonna spend a few seconds on Brovenloft. Uh, we did Brovenloft again. Brovenloft this year was a lot more like we thought it was gonna be, where there's a wacky setting and a handful of uh, game masters ran um, modules or adventures in that wacky setting but there was really no big uh you know there was no big bronstein there's no big uh, action between the big players in that sense it was kind of a dud but uh you know because low low excitement but the setting was there everybody had a lot of fun playing in session with it and so i think from the player's perspective the promise of rovenloft was finally kept this year uh, i enjoyed doing that i was busy for that month so i didn't get to get involved mm. yeah i was busy for october too yeah <laughs> october was quite a month for me so the, uh that's all i have to say about uh about brovenloft i think i do want to wrap up going once again back to what we call the Battle Bronstein. Um, and this was one sort of one sort of last idea that uh, Jeffro wanted to check off of his list for the year. And we wanted to sort of wrap up all the things that happened in that new area that we started at the beginning of the year. The Nogahide couch, the water cooler, and everything like that. And uh, one of the problems that we had was with that sort of high-level game was when do you have time to play it, right? Because we we learned something very important this year with 
the Broriental adventures and misadventures. Um, you know, of a, uh, this guy came on Twitter and said, "Oh, I love this. Um, I love this Brosr stuff. How do I do it?" And uh, unlike the guys who just wanted to join a game or start a, you know, their own table, he wanted to start with a giant land grab style Bronstein with a bunch of factions. And it totally blew up in his face because the excitement level was so high. He had so many players uh, that he became overwhelmed almost immediately. Uh, and we don't need to really talk about that, but we, we between that and the experiences of um, you know other DMs who, who have a lot of trouble managing a lot of patron play when the game is always on, We needed to make an experiment. Okay, how do how do we how do we have satisfying Bronstein experiences, or how do we have satisfying patron play without necessarily having an always-on game? And so the experiment that we did was we just basically ran a Bronstein, which is uh, we had one day set aside to play, and everybody was uh, either playing one of their higher level characters or faction leader, or they were given a faction to play in, a, in, in this part of the world. And each faction had some sort of a goal, whether it was given by the game master or uh, dictated to them by the, by the uh, setup of the map. And we all just played. And it was a lot like a game of diplomacy. If you're familiar with that, have you ever played Dipl diplomacy? DW? I've never played it. Well, the gist of it is, is that everybody's got their own part of the map and they want to control the most territory or whatever at the end of the game. And uh, they talk amongst each other to wheel and deal and make uh, plays. And, but ultimately, there's a ref and they, they make a play and they make a move on the board. And the Bronstein, the classic Bronstein was done the same way where there was one ref in a room and he would just call one player in and talk to that player and get their move. And, um, and so we just did that in the context of a Dungeons & Dragons game uh, where Jeffro said, we're not going to, you know, you're not playing your player characters. We're not doing a dungeon or anything like that. Like we're not doing small scale stuff tonight. Tonight is reserved for this, this higher level stuff. And uh, uh, we had a blast, and all that stuff sort of came together. And I want to find I, the basic summary is without having to do all the prep work of creating a world, without all the prep work of creating, you know, high level patrons, and you don't have to wait till you have a bunch of name level characters to do this, you just. You have a scenario, say it's a map, you say you've got a region of, of your world and you want uh, to, you've got a certain number of factions in this world, just write down each faction on an index card. You know, here's your armies, here's your leader, here's maybe, you know, here's your overall goal or here, here's something that you want to accomplish, right? Just hand that out to every player, right? If the player knows, okay, here's the guy I'm playing, here's the piece I'm playing, here's here's my goals, here's the map, and just put them in the room and have them talk and figure it out. And occasionally, 
check in and have them take turns, something magical happens, right? The players, you know, get some ideas, alliances form, and, uh, you know, eventually you're going to have some sort of a fight, a conflict, you know, that you have to resolve. You know, and at the end of the night, um, the status quo of the game world has been changed. Uh, there's some winners, there's some losers, and, uh, you know, everybody had fun, and then you can move on next week. All right, this is what happens. Tie up all the loose ends. Now you can go back to playing your regular games, or, uh, you know, you can do another one, or whatever you like. Uh, really cool technique. Uh, it was a smashing success. Uh, for more details, I'm, I'm going to repeat uh, we did an after-action report with Dunder Moose, where basically all the patrons except for one were available to uh, have a chat. A really cool event. Um, I think that was the biggest thing, you know, the most impactful, the most important thing we learned uh, throughout the whole year. Sort of the whole, all of our learnings in, throughout the year culminated in that uh, event because. We learned a lot about setting up a new scenario. We learned a lot about, you know, what what good patron play is, or you know, what what is good patron play? How do you actually manage um, patrons or, you know, faction leaders as a ref, and how to incorporate mass battles, you know, ad hoc mass battles quickly and easily, and and quickly, you know, determine the results of the battle uh, without having to break out all your figurines. And uh, and sort of change the status quo of your campaign in an event that sort of lets everybody participate and have fun. Uh, I, I do have one last thing on a personal note. Last year, I got back into dungeon mastering. Uh, usually, that's usually I leave the dungeon mastering to Daddy Warpig here, but I got back into it and the uh. In a lot of ways, it's like riding a bike. Being a dungeon master is a set of skills. For anybody listening who thinks it's this weird, crazy job that you need to be creative or you need to do so, you know, such and such, it's a set of skills. And you can learn the skills. And um, being creative helps, but people worry far too much about that aspect of it. Yep. You're not going to be called on to called upon to make stuff up out of thin air. That's what the game system's for. Uh, you don't, uh, you don't have to come up with, you know, whole people or personalities on the spot. You know, the tools are there where you can roll one or two attributes and then ideas will come to you and you can lean on your other players. They will give you good ideas. And uh, I will say that, uh, you know, learning Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, it's both more difficult and easier than it you might think. It is so easy to be creative as a dungeon master that you can be 9 or 10 years old and do a good enough job to bring people in. Um your first job as a dungeon master is to describe what the players see. Your second job is to ask them, what do you do? 
And your third job is to know the rules and follow them so you can adjudicate what they choose to do. And only the first part of that really requires a lot of any creativity. And I was thinking about this today. So let's take a rampaging orc. that's charging the party, swinging its axe, it's gonna attack. That sentence I just said there is a very basic sentence. It's very straightforward, but I bet it gave you enough of an image in your mind that you would, you know, you could imagine the scene. You can add details like there's blood on the axe. You can add details like it's snarling or yelling. And that's just gravy. That'll help bring players in more. But if you're capable of just saying it's charging you, it's a big orc, it's charging you, it's swinging its axe. And if you're a nine-year-old kid, you can say it's a big, mean, scary orc. And that's so simple. And that's all you have to do. Don't worry about all this garbage that people, I mean, I don't want to crap on people online, but there are so many videos from so many people that go on for hours and hours and they have hundreds of these videos trying to give you game mastering advice. And if they didn't make it complicated, then you wouldn't need to come back for these hundreds of videos. But it's all really simple. You describe it, you ask them what they're doing, you adjudicate the rules. You know the rules, you follow the rules, you adjudicate the rules. Those are the three things you have to do. And describing the scene is not a big, heavy thing. It's a big, mean, ugly orc. Um, you know, and maybe back in the day in the 70s or 80s when people didn't necessarily know what orcs are, you had to do more. You had to tell them, okay, it's got green skin and it's got a pig nose and it's got long tusks and it, it's got a hat on with big horns like a Viking hell. Maybe I had to go into more detail. Maybe if it's a monster you've met, you've made up, you have to tell them more detail. It's like, oh, it looks like an elf, only it's got big eyes like a fly. Okay, you have to describe a little bit more. But it really, people make it more complicated than it seems. They make it more complicated, uh, so, but you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be intimidated. And once you start practicing the basic stuff and get comfortable with the basic stuff, then you can start elaborating on it until you reach your level of, of improvisation, until you reach your level of comfort. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to be Superman. If there are people out there who can do, you know, more elaborate descriptions than you do, fine. Let them. It doesn't matter. The people you're playing with generally have their uh, good imaginations or they wouldn't be playing role-playing games. And so you can lean on them when you say, oh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a six-legged horse, and it's got fangs. 
okay, they got it. You don't have to go into super detail. Absolutely. <laughs> R dubs says you're describing someone he knows. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, yeah, Brad. All, yeah. all the people keep doing those videos. They don't know what they're doing either. Uh, or or they're just putting out nonsense, you know, deliberately obvious he's getting out as a grift. Yeah, uh, they're just putting out nonsense because they can get eyeballs and they produce more content for the channel and everything like that. They're not like us. We just do it for the love of the game. But absolutely. Uh, there's no reason to... Uh, no reason to fret over it. No reason not to just give it a try. Although, uh, the point about the rules, that's the part that, uh, that I think is harder. The, the um, AD&D's rules are excellent, but... Uh, they are occasionally difficult to actually use. Um, it's sometimes challenging to find the right rules for the situation you're working in. That's fine. But uh, sometimes it can be a challenge. I think... Uh, and I've had a great time doing it. I've had a great time uh, being a dungeon master. Uh, we started off the year with a couple of sessions. Uh, everybody's really excited and interested. I'm happy to continue doing it into the next year. Uh, and I do encourage everybody who's interested, give it a go. Warpig, I'm, I think I've hit my list of things I learned and, and things I enjoyed about... Uh, Gaming 2023. Um, want to know if you have any extra thoughts or anything you want to add? No. Um, hopefully I'll be able to return to game mastering in Trilopolis soon. Uh, I have been doing a little bit of prep. Um, and I finally returned to uh, being able to game master. Um, the secret project is going really well. I'm up to 23,563 notes. Um, so uh, that's a lot of notes. Months, I think just a few months ago, I had barely crested 20k. So in 20, 2003, uh, 2023, I barely crested 20k. So that's uh, that's how fast things are going. Um, there's a lot of work that is going on, and I just I just had some huge, huge, huge things coming along that just recently happened, uh, and I'm so excited. Um, and there have been people I talked to about this when I started working on this specific project in 2018. And uh, at least two of them have gotten back to me saying, uh, that sounds really cool. When is he going to get it finished? And the answer is, I don't know, but I'm working on it every single day um, in ways big and small. 
Um, and I'm excited when it's ready to show people, but I just have to do the work that I have to do. See, here's the secret of prep. It isn't about a lot of prep or a little prep or no prep. It's about the correct amount of prep that you need to do what you are supposed to do. And you may need to do more prep than another DM. You may need to do less prep than another DM. But all of these people who say, oh, yeah, you need to spend a year of prep to run a campaign, and that's obligatory, and you need to do it, they're lying. You don't. You need to spend the right amount of prep for you. And if it is a year, fine, it's a year. Don't worry about it. But if it's only a couple of hours, great. It's only a couple of hours. And don't feel guilty about that. Don't try to live up to the expectations that people on the internet have set for you, have put in your minds. Don't try to live up to those expectations. Just learn. Uh, I think the biggest problem I've seen from a lot of new game masters recently is that they are looking for the secret formula so they can be good game masters because they feel inferior because they think there is some super, uh, super hard, super high um, standard that they have to reach or the game is going to be garbage. And I'm telling you that... Game mastering is not all that complicated. Otherwise, literally tens of thousands of groups of middle schoolers would not have been doing it in the 80s and having a lot of fun. Um, and there were tens of thousands of groups of middle schoolers doing it in the 80s and having a lot of fun. And you don't have to worry that much. And all that worrying kind of clogs you up inside. It blocks what you need to do to actually just run the game. So the first thing you need to do is tear away all those expectations, tear away all that worry, and just be yourself. All right. Three simple principles. Describe the scene, ask the players what they want to do, and then run the rules. And in order to run the rules, you have to know the rules, apply the rules, and use the rules in play. And you're going to say, well, what if I don't know the rules all at the beginning? Well, you don't. Nobody does. You, you're just going to use the rule. You're just going to learn the rules as you go along. Keep on going back to the rule book. Keep on reading it. Keep on going through it. You know, and I'm not talking about AD&D just here. I'm talking about that's how I learned Shadowrun. That's how I learned Torg. That's how I learned every game that I've ever run or played. I started off not knowing. Actually, I think I was on the fourth session of Shadowrun before I started using dice pools, like the combat dice pool or the magic dice pool, because Hey, I was busy trying to get a handle on staging and on character creation and on 
how to use skills and how to set target numbers. It just will take some time and some practice and some doing things. Don't worry about it. Don't, you don't have to be perfect out of the gate. Uh, but I will tell you that I have absolutely mastered top to bottom at least three games. And at the beginning of playing those three games, I knew very, very little about them. Uh, it was Shadowrun 2nd Edition, uh, and I had learned Shadowrun 1st Edition in and out top to bottom before then. 2nd Edition was just a, a development of that, building on it. Uh, Torg and D&D uh, 3rd &D Edition. So you can absolutely become the master of the game when you start out being really, really, really green with it and just learning the game by playing it and learning the game by reading the rule book and learning the game to the point where other people will ask you because you're the authority on it and they know that you know what you're talking about. So don't worry. Don't worry about it. Just do the best you can and know that the best you can is actually all you need to do. You don't have to be better than the best you can. You just don't. Well said. That's it. Well, thanks for thanks for the chat. Uh, it's been a heck of a year. I'm really looking forward to this next one. Um, doing the Geek Gab and playing more tabletop role-playing games. And uh, I hope to talk more about it soon. I think I'm done for this week. Daddy, we're big. I do want to once again thank everybody in the chat. Bradford Walker. Um, check out his blog, bradfordcwalker.blogspot.com. I think he's on Stub Substack now, but I'll let him put that in the comments. Uh, R-Dubs, good to see you. Um, well, been active in the Brosar this year. Escape Velo, glad you could join us. Bob Stevens, Brian Manager, Simon Ogwood, everybody else. Um, and I hope everybody who listens later really enjoyed this chat. Um, and if you're not already interested, hit me up. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DoranLGG. Uh, I love talking about RPGs. Uh, we'll get you in a game sometime. I'm signing off for this week, Warpig. All right. Um, this has been Geek Gab for Monday, January 15th, 2022. Remind people to subscribe and hit the bell so you can get notified as to when we're going live. We are here just about every Monday, uh, just about the same time, which would be 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. Uh, at youtube.com slash geekgab. Once again, that's youtube.com slash geekgab. We are also available on the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, and on soundcloud.com. Just do a search for geekgab to subscribe on the device of your choice. Listen to us on the web or download us to your personal computer because that's the kind of love we have in our hearts. Quick reminder, next week is going to be reviews of a bunch of stuff that has just finished up. Um, and maybe even, if I get this together and out this week, the birth of the Geek Gab blog and possibly the 
Patreon and subscribe star for the show so we can start to defray some of the operating costs that we've picked up over the last uh, couple of years. We uh, want to thank everyone who listened live, uh, especially those who are participating in the chat, and we want to thank everyone who will listen later. Uh, we are signing out for today, but don't you worry, don't you fret, we will be back.